Well, here we are at last at session 12, the last session in our series on battling unbelief, in which we have built everything on the truth that belief or faith is the means that God uses to produce love and produce holiness and to empower the killing of our own sin. And we focused on different sins, and the last one we will look at is lust and the battling of the unbelief that lies behind it, and then end with a summary. So, Father, this issue of lust, sexual lust in particular, I'm thinking about, is a massive problem in the human soul, male and female, and in the church, even in Christian leadership. And I pray that you would use this session, along with all the other wonderful instruments and means you have given your church to set people free. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's my definition, which I'll give you, and then you can test it as we move through texts to see if you think it's faithful to what the Bible means. Lust is the pursuit, so your mind is pursuing the pursuit of illicit thoughts, that's thoughts that you should not have, or images in the mind with a view to stimulating sexual pleasures. So you pursue a thought or you pursue an image with a view to stimulating sexual pleasures. And if those thoughts and images are illicit, then the pursuit of that sexual pleasure through those thoughts and images is wrong. It's lust with or without external stimuli. You might need a computer and pornography to help you. You might not. That's my definition. Now, how serious is it? According to Jesus in Matthew 5, 27 to 30, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what should you do? If your right eye causes you to sin in this way, tear it out and throw it away. Why? Why? That's pretty radical, for it is better that you lose one of your members, namely your eye, than that your whole body be thrown into hell. That's what's at stake. So, killing this lustful intent, this desire, this illicit desire, is important enough to threaten hell as the warrant for it. Here's a positive way of saying the same thing in Matthew 18, 9. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better for you to enter life. Now, that's the opposite of going to hell with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. So by tearing out your eye, killing your eye, Destroy your eye, you will be able to enter life because that is assumed to be a way of killing the sin. So here's the way Paul puts it. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death, stab your eye, gouge out your eye, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So remember Jesus said, here you will enter life if you will tear out your eye and thus kill sin. And here he says, if you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, here's what I want to pick up on. By the Spirit, we are to put to death lustful thoughts that result in deeds of the body or are themselves a deed of the body because that's the way lust functions physically. What does by the Spirit mean? Ephesians 6, 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, why is that such an important parallel to Romans 8.13, where we are told by the Spirit to kill sin? It's because this sword is the only weapon in the armor mentioned in Ephesians 6, which is, a, which is used for killing. There's the breastplate, and there's the helmet, and there's the um, belt, and there's the shoes. Only the sword is used for killing. So the sword of the Spirit is used for killing, and it is the Word of God. So now the question becomes, how does the Holy Spirit use the Word of God to enable us to put to death the deeds of the body, which we're to do by the Spirit. And the weapon, the weapon of the Spirit is the sword. One way is this. This is Ephesians 4.22 and 1 Peter 1.14. Watch. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, which is corrupt through deceitful desires. What the Word of God does in freeing us from sinful desires is to undeceive us. The Word tells the truth about these desires. Namely, they are fleeting and paltry. They're like making mud pies in the slums because you can't imagine a holiday at the sea, as C.S. Lewis says. And the Word of God destroys this deceit and makes us see that what we're buying into with these lying, deceitful desires is destruction. Or let's see it again here in 1 Peter 1.14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. This is the deceit. So the Word of God kills the ignorance and thus takes away the power of the passions that were feeding on the ignorance. If you don't have any idea that there is a holiday at the sea, and you only know gutters, then you're going to be happy with gutters. But if the Word of God comes along and displays the glory of Christ to you and just banishes the ignorance you have of the superior beauties of the seashore of the glory of Christ, then it awakens what? Awakens what? Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of God. Faith comes from hearing the word of God and hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. So faith is what is awakened. We're undeceived from all the falseness and error of desire, and we are drawn out in faith to the to the truth. 
and to the glory and to the beauty and to the worth of Christ and all his work for us and all his ways and all his person. And so faith feeds on the truth that it now sees because of the word. Here's the way Jesus describes faith. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me. And these are parallel, aren't they? Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So coming to Jesus so as not to hunger and believing in Jesus so as not to thirst are parallel. They are the same. So I would define believing or faith from this passage right here as a, as a coming to Jesus so as to eat from him as our bread of heaven and drink from him as the living water, which cuts then the power and the nerve of these deceitful desires that create sinful thirst because they're a mirage and therefore the thirst is folly. Whereas when we see Christ for who he really is and we believe and, and embrace and receive him, then our thirst is satisfied on what is true and beautiful promises like this. Faith lays hold of blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. So it's seeing God and what we have tasted of that sight in the gospel that powers us to pursue a pure heart and not a lustful one. Or Psalm 84, 11, the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And here's the application. Walking uprightly includes walking free from sexual sin like porn or fornication or adultery and others. To walk uprightly is to abstain from sexual sin. And if somebody says, you're crazy, you think I'm going to go a lifetime because I don't have a wife or a husband and abstain from, from having sexual relations with anybody I please? That would be a massive loss in life. And you say, no, because God said, God said, not you, God is my authority. God said, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk in sexual uprightness. You will find that when you get to heaven, if you have stayed single and chased all your life, that you will be repaid 10,000 fold for anything you thought you were giving up. And there will be reward. There will be rewards in this life. So precious in your clean conscience and your love for other people and your power in the Holy spirit that you will never regret a day of your chastity not for all eternity. It's promises like this that faith lays hold of and therefore is able to kill the sin of lust. One more text. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing to be mistreated 
with the people of God than to have the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, surely that would include all the sexual indulgences that he could have in the Egyptian palace if he would just stay there as the grandson of Pharaoh. He could have anything he wanted sexually. And he looked at them and said, why would I want a pleasure that only lasts 80 years when I can have a reward that lasts 80 trillion ages of years and never runs out? Watch this. He chose to be mistreated. That is, he walked the path of obedient love in caring for God's people, renouncing pleasures that he knew were only fleeting. How did he do it? He considered the reproach suffered for Christ greater wealth, reproach greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking to the reward. He saw in the future a reward so powerful, so great, that the taste of it now enabled him to, to undeceive himself. By this word of promise, he was undeceived by these pleasures and knew they are fleeting like a vapor's breath compared to eternity. And therefore, he was able to walk in love and obedience and purity. So let's close it out. Summary. We kill the sin of lust by believing God's promises, namely that seeing and being with God in purity of heart is more satisfying, a more satisfying wealth than the fleeting pleasures of lust. That's what we believe. That's the promise. And believing that, we kill lust. That is, we kill the sin of lust by being satisfied with all that God promises to be for us through Jesus Christ. Satisfied that no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. This is the great battle against lust, to be satisfied in God. And now I step back and summarize all 12 sessions. Where have we been? What have we been saying? We battle unbelief for the sake of love and holiness and sin-killing. Because belief or faith is the means God uses to bring about love and holiness and sin-killing. That's the root of it. That's the way we pursue it. We're not legalists. We pursue it as the obedience of faith. Faith has this power because it includes being satisfied in all, all that God is for us in Jesus. This superior satisfaction in God frees us from the deception that sin is a greater joy than God. That's the way sin has power. Nobody sins out of duty. People sin because sin lies to us and deceives us into thinking that it has a greater pleasure to offer us than God. Therefore, the great battle of the Christian life, the great battle, the great battle every day till the day we die, is to defeat such unbelief. That is, to have faith in God. That is, to be satisfied. You see how I'm treating all those as the same? Get rid of unbelief, get faith, 
get satisfied in all that God is for us in Jesus. For he is a greater joy, a better treasure, and a superior pleasure than all this world can offer. Amen.